Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders, CEOs, and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a special one. Uh, his name is Bill Snyder, the CEO of Vivante Elf. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I really appreciate being here. Uh, and Bill, you are coming from Chicago. So this year we started in Stockholm. I was having some issues <laughs> this this afternoon for me, this morning for you to pronounce uh, the the city. Uh, we also had uh, London, Helsinki, Oslo, and now uh, Chicago. So we are covering the world. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. That's right. Yeah, we're here in Chicago where it's a little chilly this time of year. Um, so it's uh, it's always best to be here in the summer, but always a great city. And uh, and your career and, and background is is quite amazing. You have a, an amazing story. You kind of climbed the corporate ladder uh, at Humana, uh, then you move it at, as head of sales to Verta Elf until you became the CEO of uh, Vivante Elf. So a lot of experience in the digital elf space in different positions. So, but better than anyone that that, uh, that myself, you you can give a, an overview of of your career to to the ones who are listening to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, happy to. So, I was fortunate to start uh, my career at Humana, and I started at their headquarters in Louisville, Kentucky. And when I when I started at Humana, I started in a leadership rotational program. So it was a, a program where they they brought you in, they taught you the business of healthcare. And then you moved around with the organization all across the country. It's great. Uh, it was it was great experience. I really learned a lot about healthcare. Uh, and um, and then from there, to your point, uh, I had done some entrepreneurial stuff on the side. So I had co-developed an app. We ended up not launching it, but myself <laughs> and a business partner spent weekends and evenings building a, a patient-to-provider app interface uh, that we were really excited about, um, but we ended up not bringing it to market. Um, uh, so I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, and then uh, eventually after, you know, just a, over a decade of great experience uh, at, at Humana, where eventually I led the Chicago office. It was a $570 million business uh, from well, contracting and commercial and just a great, great organization. Went to uh, Verda Health in the diabetes space, another great company with great people. Um, learned a lot from the folks I worked with there uh, in terms of providing care for individuals with type 2 diabetes. And now I'm most excited about what we've built at Vivante, where we're revolutionizing digital health gut first. So working with individuals who suffer from chronic digestive conditions. Right. And I know a lot about it because uh, as, as the listeners of the show know, I've been announcing it vocally for a long time. I have an autoimmune condition and uh, the way to treat autoimmune conditions starts with uh, with the gut, and that has been one of my main priorities. So, but but tell us a little bit more about how has been the journey with Vivente. Uh, how did you join? Uh, how did you find out? Because you, for the ones who are listening, you are not the founder, but you became the 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 CEO of uh, of the company, right? Yeah, and yeah, Mike, you and I have talked about this and the importance of digestive health, I think, impacts everyone. Um, and so when we think about what we're doing and what we've built at Vivante, first thing we think about is the problem. Uh, and um, we did a, a study with the University of Texas that was published in terms of prevalence of these conditions. And about 25% of the U.S. population where, uh, where we provide our solution today suffer from some type of uh, digestive condition and or heightened symptom. And so we knew that it was a massive problem. Uh, we knew that these are difficult conditions, which sometimes can be a bit ambiguous and difficult mm -hmm. to get a diagnosis, difficult to get a specific care plan. Uh, and so at, at Vivante, our goal was to develop uh, a leading platform that's technology-based, that's focused on using disparate data sets to personalize the experience for the members based upon their condition and or symptom to ultimately mm -hmm. provide relief, reduce their symptoms and get them feeling better. Uh, and so for me, um, you know, the, the journey has been personal in nature. I have friends and family who suffer from chronic digestive conditions. And I've seen firsthand the difficulty of kind of getting through that healthcare journey and um, getting the right type of care that can impact them at point in time, because these are conditions that impact exactly. you every single day. Um, and I just saw, you know, a big opportunity there. And initially, the organization um, was was founded 
uh, with some kind of different goals in mind. Uh, and so I was fortunate to come on. Um, we really we recapitalized the company. We actually stood up a new business um, and uh, brought new product to market, hired a terrific team. Um, so just an unbelievable uh, team across the board, senior leadership and throughout the organization. And now we're just having a lot of success in terms of creating outcomes at scale and providing better care for our members, which is which is really exciting. Yeah. On your first point, I really enjoyed the, the way your, your Velop prop is, is in the website. And when you start looking at 17 million Americans twice as diabetes, the 136B of annual costs of uh, GI disease, the 8.3 million ER visits per, per year, and the, seven, the 72, I would say 70.2, but 72K of the, the potential of uh, drugs to per year, of cost per year to, to treat uh, those chronic conditions. It's, it's really uh, crazy. And I even saw that you have kind of a savings calculator for the employers on, on the website. So very clear messaging. I, I like to, to look at websites, so super well done about what is the problem? What is the solution? What is the value added? And what are you trying to solve? Well, thank you. And, and for us, I think what's really important is, you know, when we're uh, in terms of how we're bringing our solution to individuals, we're a B2B2C model. So right. we're working with large self-funded employers and health plans here in the U.S. Um, and when we wake up every day, we think about the members we serve. And so we think about how can we improve the care for the individuals who are suffering in silence, suffering from these conditions, suffering from these symptoms. But we do have to message, we have kind of two levels of messaging because we want right. that message to resonate with the individual. Um, but we also want that message to resonate with the plan sponsor, be that uh, a large self-funded employer or a health plan who are saying, hey, how do we put this solution in the care in the hands of the members that, that we serve? So, yeah. uh, so I appreciate that. And what we definitely try and do is strike that balance of messaging our directly to the members, but also to those plan sponsors as well. Yeah. So that's this motion of the B2B2C of needing. And I think that's one of the complexities of healthcare, needing to deal with different stakeholders and the ones who are using it and the ones who are paying it uh, are different. Uh, kind of as in a software, the user and the decision maker are also uh, different and, and you need to, to have a valid position for both, right? Yeah, you, you said it. That's absolutely right. And, you know, what we find is when you work with these leaders from employers and with health plans, uh, the folks that we're talking to have a vested interest in improving people's health. Health. So they, they do want to see those improved outcomes. They do want to see people feeling better. They do want to see people more empowered around their own healthcare journey. Uh, so I think that there is uh, a lot of alignment there in terms of um, what the member is looking for and also what the plan sponsor is looking for. Uh, but then when you think about uh, just kind of working within the healthcare ecosystem, I think that's important to, to take into context anytime you're building a digital health solution and bringing it to market, especially here in the U.S. Right. Yeah, the everyone would say that go to markets in any startup or in any scale up, but uh, especially in health tech, it's it's not a an easy process at all. And uh, and it helped. I'm sure that it helped a lot to you to be involved with Humana for such a long time of, and having been in, in different positions before you move it to Vorton and after to to Vivante to to lead the business, right? It did. It really helped. You know, for me, um, that that kind of idea of making sure that we're not siloing care and mm -hmm. the importance of integrating into the existing healthcare ecosystem. And so, you know, we're just one part of someone's broader care journey. So how do we facilitate that? How do we optimize their care, uh, but then take a holistic approach in terms of the people that we're serving? And so I think with with my time at Humana, um, I was able to see, you know, the, the, the health plan side of it. I was able, I was working with employers. So I was able to see the decision-making process from the right. employer side. And then we were doing con contracting with the health systems, the actual providers across the greater Chicago and, and all mm -hmm. throughout the state of Illinois. Um, and so that really taught me a lot about the importance of value-based care, of risk-based contracting, um, mm -hmm. of, uh, the importance of security data, you know, for us, you know, we take that very seriously at Vivante. We're SOC 2 certified. We're moving towards our high trust certification as well um, because we know how how important that that uh, that data is. Um, 
So I think a lot of those lessons really helped give me a broader view of how important innovation and digital health can be, but also how it does need to work within the healthcare ecosystem to make sure that we're optimizing the care for the people that we work with every day. Because in a, in a certain way, and you know much more about this here than myself, on, on one side, you have the kind of the, the consumer capabilities of being able to make it easy to use a great interface for the members. On the other side, you have a, all an enterprise motion, uh, very slow decision making, a lot of stakeholders that you need to manage at the same time. And usually we say in a, in a startup, you are B2B or you are B2C. Don't try to do both uh, at the same time, because even the profiles, the strategy, the motion, the the the, the lifetime of, of the client, the, the CAC, uh, from marketing to sales to operations, everything is different from a B2B to a B2C motion. And, and even the kind of people that you need are different. So the complexity goes up a lot. And as we like to say in startups and scale-ups, it's all about killing complexity and trying to make it uh, as easy as possible, as frictionless as possible to be able to, to scale. But health tech, that's a different beast. And that's why I also love so much the, the space, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you said it. It's it's like building the product and the solution and the interaction for the member. And it's yeah. keeping that front of mind and keeping it kind of the, the uh, human centered design and making sure that that you're creating these meaningful experiences for individuals that result in, in real outcomes for them. Um, but then to your point, thinking about those other stakeholders who are doing some of the purchasing and and helping distribute the availability of that solution to their members, you know, that's a, it's right. unique uh, in healthcare. And so you're, you're absolutely right. It's kind of a, a unique opportunity, uh, as well as kind of a unique barrier when you're right. building a, a digital health company. This is said kind of the NPS of the member, but also the NPS of the employer, the NPS of the health plan, the different NPS of the different decision makers, um, in the in the process, uh, it's it's again a lot of stakeholders to manage, and at the same time, you need to be able to make a business model uh, work out of it. And I think that's the complexity. Of course, the NPS for for the member, it's all about having a better health, a better life, improving the symptoms. Now, I'm not saying that the B two B motion and monster uh, doesn't have the same incentives but the pnl uh, is there as well and and the business needs to to be sustainable uh, from a financial standpoint and that's where sometimes also the ethics in healthcare uh, gets in the game and and we are seeing also a lot of pressure in this kind of companies um, because the, the business models also sometimes are not very sustainable especially on the on the health plans and insurance side yeah, that's spot on. Um, and I think it's important to kind of recognize those needs, right? Because we talked to, just to your point about the NPS for the individuals, right? How, how are you creating that meaningful experience? Is it delightful for them? And are you creating real outcomes for them as the user? And then how does that translate in terms of value for the plan sponsor? And I think what we see is we we definitely see decision makers that we work with that are taking that into account. They really want something that is meaningful to members. They want that delightful experience for them. And so uh, it's great to see all of these employers that are so interested in these innovative tools. And then they also wanna see how does that outcome translate in terms of savings? Uh, and so that's something at, at Vivante that um, we did a early white paper around a 30,000 life client that we worked with and did a pre post analysis in terms of hard cost savings. So how can we actually show financial results in 12 months um, that employers and health plan partners can count on? And I think that that was very meaningful in terms of moving us forward for uh, for our scale and our growth. Also having in mind some of the, the audience or the listeners that are uh, uh, tuning in and so being with us today, uh, they might be in different stages of uh, of their or of, of of the startup and of the scale up. So um, we are seeing some trends, and uh, we have discussed this before, uh, also in this context, which is sometimes we see digital health companies and leaders recommending uh, early stage startups to start with a B two C model to create the business case and then evolve to an employer or uh, an health plan. In other cases, do a pilot directly with an employer or an health plan and grow uh, within the, the ecosystem and start b 
B2B2C instead of starting B2C and then pivoting to, to B2B. So there are so many uh, options and, and usually those first three years, four or five years until you you get, let's say maybe three, if everything goes well from the pre-seed to seed and from the seed uh, to way by the book that we know in, in Alftech sometimes that things and in any startup and things don't go uh, by the book, we, we need to be able to, and, and again, the decision-making, the process, it becomes a little bit difficult to, to start up in order to be prepared to, to scale up uh, the model. So any any lessons, any any advice for, for the ones who are listening to us according to your uh, experience? Uh, yeah, really good question. And I do think a lot will depend on um, the specific market that you're going after. Right. But um, to your point and going back to kind of what you outlined before, which I thought was spot on in terms of that mentality of the B2C versus the B2B2C, I think it begins with kind of a fanatical approach to product and product design. And when I think about product and product design, it's really about that user experience. You know, are you creating something meaningful that adds immediate value to the individual? And are you creating an experience where they walk away and say, this is incredible. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, right. people's view of the healthcare system in general is not a positive one. Most of us <laughs> have interaction with the healthcare system. We don't walk away saying, man, that was great. I'm so happy uh, with all that experience. Great. And so I think these innovative tools give us that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I think, you know, these, these new innovative tools really have that opportunity to create an experience where people are saying, wow, this is fantastic. I've been looking for something like this for 20 years, which, you know, we hear often. And so I think anyone who's starting to build a business uh, in digital health, health technology, you know, the beginning piece is finding that big problem uh, where there's a lot of opportunity to fix these massive, massive issues in the healthcare system. So find that big problem, create a solution that is meaningful, creates delight, and where you have members coming to you saying, this is absolutely fantastic. And then when I think about scale, for me, I think uh, when, you, when you think about digital health, I, I think the B2B2C model makes a lot of sense in terms of that next step. Once you have that user base of, we've got a working product uh, that people really, really enjoy, you'll always iterate on that. You'll always look to improve it. Uh, but then, you know, it's it's finding those partnerships, whether they be innovative employers to start with uh, or health plans, because what we're seeing is quicker and quicker adoption from large health plans for innovative tools that create meaningful outcomes. Because usually it, to, it might be easier to start with the employer and then have the employer recommend you to, to the health plan or almost force the health plan uh, because your, your service is so good and, uh, and the outcomes and, and the savings are so good that it would, make, it would be a pity for the health plan to not include uh, your services. But at the same time, and I think it's kind of what we also saw see in other verticals in, in startups and scale-ups, those large health plans and corporates also have budget and they are looking for innovation and uh, new solutions. So you can almost take uh, two approaches and, and start maybe with on the employer avenue and at the same time that you go very slowly with the health plan uh, avenue. But of course, then it comes radical focus. Um, am I trying to do too much at the same time? All the, all the questions that come to the mind of the entrepreneur. Yeah I, yeah, I think you just outlined it perfectly. When we think about kind of our model and at least our go-to-market strategy that's really effective at Vivante is starting to work with those self-funded employers. We set up a type two NPI. Um, and so then I was able to go to the health plans with our self-funded employers who are interested in utilizing Vivante and saying, hey, I can bill through claims. Uh, and so, you know, we're, now we're working with all the major health plans for our self-funded clients. We can bill as a claim. We don't have to. We have some that say, no, we'd just rather pay you the admin fee. But the majority say, that sounds great because now it's out of my claims bolus as opposed to an increase in admin fees. So mm -hmm. it, it reduces the buying friction for those large self-funded clients. And then to your point, now it's more data and further proof of concept for the health plan. So I've now gone back to them and our team has said, hey, now you have six months, 12 months, 18 months of data working with this self-funded organization. And you've seen the impact that we can have in terms of claims cost and, and amazing NPS scores and feedback from the, the users, the members. 
Uh, and, and so that then makes it an easy decision for those health plans to say, hey, let's talk about broader distribution. Let's look at our fully insured populations. Let's look at how we can start to promote you as a value add to our services, which is really exciting. So I think that that is, to your point, it's a lot and there's a lot of moving parts, but I think that really gives you a great opportunity to uh, impact more and more members uh, as you scale throughout the country. For the ones who are trying to learn more about digital health and health tech, um, can you just explain a little bit, uh, a little bit more uh, some of our vocabulary uh, here, kind of the self-funded uh, employers, the health system? So if, if you can just give us an overview about the different stakeholders of uh, an healthcare system and uh, how you, you engage, who you engage with uh, from a scale-up perspective, uh, it, it might be helpful as well. Yeah, that's a great point because this is something that I, I again, with the Humana hat background, I have a tendency to gloss <laughs> over sometimes and you're right because- That's why it's amazing to have you here and, and, and why I love so much to talk to you because I can learn so quickly so many things. <laughs> oh, well, just, you know, Mike, you, you, like you said, there's there's different. Uh, so when you're first thinking about like the health plans and so you think of a United Healthcare, a Cigna, an Aetna, Humana, any of the, the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, which are regionalized throughout the US, uh, they're going to have different types of businesses and different books of business. Some of that is going to be fully insured. And that tends to be companies that might be as small as two employees. Uh, typically, that might range up to companies that employ maybe 150 to 200 employees, mm -hmm. depending on the geography. Because what you see is more what we call self-funded and ASO clients in pockets of the country, where in other pockets, they're, they're likely to fully insure to a to, to higher employee count. But fully insured is just a funding mechanism where the employer is paying the health plan money to administer their entire plan, and they're taking on the risk, the liability of those claims. So you're paying a, a premium, and then any costs that's being incurred by the members using that system is going to be paid for by the plan. That's that's kind of that that idea of that fully insured coverage. Um, Self-funding is typically larger companies, although uh, there were some programs that came out about eight years ago where we saw uh, self-funding going down to smaller employers as well. But typically, you see it for you know any of the Fortune 500s. The vast majority right. are going to be self-funded. And so for uh, for them, they're still working with those same plans. They're still going to be working with the United, a Cigna, Aetna, Humana, you name it, or a regional blue plan. Mm -hmm. um, and what they're going to do is they're going to be paying that health plan to, again, still administer the plan, still have a network in place, uh, but they're actually funding the claims. So they have a, a, a pile, a, a pot of money where they're going to be paying out claims out of that pot of money. And right. so th that's why the ASO is administrative services only. Um, so the plan's administering it, but uh, the risk outside of any stop loss or reinsurance, which, mm -hmm. which we also cover, uh, so that'll be paid for by that large employer out of their, their claims bolus. And typically what you'll see is in that self-funded market, those employers are going to say, hey, we want to customize a little bit more. So when you think about insured plans, they're typically a little bit more off the shelf. It's going to be, hey, the health plan provides you different, different options and the, the smaller mid-sized business will say, okay, we'll, we'll choose a couple of these and let our employees choose out of it. For the larger self-funded plans, you can start to customize a lot more. Um, and so that's a great starting point for early digital health companies is, is large self-funded plans because they can customize, because they are paying out of that claims bolus, they're going to say, hey, you know, as the decision maker for our plan and what we'd want to design, we're going to pull in some of these digital health solutions and then work with our plan on the administration of that. And right. so it's, it's really a partnership between the digital health company the employer as the plan sponsor and the health plan administering the plan. So typically you want all three parties in the conversation and you want to be ready to show, hey, this is the impact that uh, we're going to be measuring. This is what we know that we can do for these, these members. Uh, and we'd love to measure it with you and then show you these outcomes and be transparent about those outcomes. And then it's kind of value add for everybody at the table. And and you feel that though, or you have the evidence that those self-funded um, employers are more open for innovation and for earlier stages, uh, or and for startups in earlier stages. Uh, that that's kind of the point that you see it's easier to to get in than than the ones who are not self-funded. Right? Um, I I think the the I think you've got 
some extremely innovative small businesses and mid-sized businesses that are still fully insured. Um, the right. difficulty there is they will definitely be paying an admin fee on top right. of it. So they'll already be paying their, their premium. And then you're going to have another uh, kind of um, okay. another line of payment. I and so, so we get requests a lot at Vivante of, hey, we love what you're doing and we're a smaller company. Um, and so for us, one of the longer term goals is to figure out how we can get down to more of the mid market and small market and do it effectively. Right. Because with any early stage company, there's going to be initial startup costs and initial engagement cost when you deploy yeah. with it with a uh, self-funded employer or a fully insured employer. So I'd say it's it's more about the uh, the funding options that make it easier to work with some of the larger self-funded clients early. Uh, but, but for us, uh, a big goal is to figure out how we can get into that mid-market and small market, do it effectively because there's great innovative organizations. And the big thing is, there's need, right? For for us right. at Vivante, it's how do we meet the need of the members and get our solution as, into the hands right. of many people suffering as possible. Uh, right. So instead uh, of going upstream, going downstream in terms of uh, expanding uh, the company, right? That's exactly right. Like over time, right? So for us, we started upstream because we had these self-funded organizations that we knew that we could work with, work with their health plan and figure out a good partnership in terms of how we can fund Vivante through, uh, through claims in many instances. And now what that's allowed us to do is we're going back and having these discussions with these health plans and going back to that point of now you have the data, now you have the evidence of the impact we can have. We're talking to major health plans now about this full distribution. That gets really exciting because then we're talking about those fully insured populations. Got it. And we're talking about, hey, now maybe we can get in as an included benefit from the health plan for the company, regardless of size. So that those two-person companies, those 10-person companies across the U.S., could get access to Vivante because we'd be integrated into their fully insured benefit, which is which is really exciting. I've been recording uh, digital health episodes since the entire year of 22 uh, and now in 23. So for the ones who are listening, if you didn't get it yet, uh, it, it will take time, but you will get there. And uh, as you can see, I'm, I'm still challenging Bill to, to explain me a little bit more and, uh, and also benefiting the audience that is listening to, to the conversation. But giving one step back, let, let's come back to Vivante uh, Elf and uh, where are you in terms of stage of growth, uh, ad counts, any metrics that you can share, fundraising, uh, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I can share some some of the public uh, information that's out there as we did our Series A. So I mentioned that really I started a new company in 2021. Um, and so uh, we, we didn't end up changing the name, but I stood up a new organization and uh, did a $16 million Series A. Uh, that was the uh, end of 2021. Uh, and so over the okay. past year, we've had, we've been really fortunate because we've just had absolutely tremendous growth from a membership perspective. Uh, and so for us, we think about how are we improving outcomes over time? How are we getting access to, to new opportunities and new members through our employer and our health plans, uh, our health employer and health plan relationships? And so for us, we've seen um, just from a you know, top line revenue growth, uh, about 500% growth year to year. Wow. Uh, we're, we just launched in January with a number of Fortune 50 companies, uh, and we've amazing. been off to an incredible start thanks to our amazing team at, at Vivante and to our partners. Uh, and so um, we'll probably see another 3x growth uh, this year as well. Um, oh, congratulations. Opportunity. So really exciting. Um, and then for us, you know, I think some of the biggest, uh, what, what I get most excited about is we have been able to grow the team. Um, so we continue to invest in our people. And we've just, uh, you know, when I, when I think about what we've done really, really well is we've just hired incredible talent throughout the organization, people that are passionate about our mission, people that are value driven, uh, and that, that are excited, you know, that they, they come to work thinking about how can we continue to improve our solution and create meaningful outcomes for our members. Sounds amazing. And in terms of the, the size of the team or just an interval, if you don't want to disclose the, the exact figures. Uh, yeah, happy to share. We're over 50 employees uh, and grown quickly. So I know that throughout the, the market, there's been you know ups and downs um, for us. We've been able to, I think we were uh, very focused on how we scale, how we grow. And that's right. been great because this year has certainly been a growth year for us. 
So we are Amazing. still hiring um, yeah. for different roles because of our, our growth, which is an exciting, exciting place to be. And this is also a new trend that we discuss here very often on the podcast is how are you able to go through the different stages with uh, an optimal size? Because I think that leaders, as they become more and more experienced, they know that adding too much headcount in a short period of time, uh, sometimes it, it, it makes the company break and it becomes chaotic even to sustain the culture, sustain the business model, sustain the processes. So sometimes it is better to go a little bit uh of course it's amazing when you find product market fit and that's kind of your case you are kind of having the free x growth and, and so on so which means that the market is pushing you to grow quicker but at the same time of course uh, it's it's a much better problem to have than the, those companies who are trying to find how do i break this growth plateau because the market is not pushing me we need to do certain iterations and go again into the discovery exercise of the starting up uh, moment before going into scaling up so you you are one of the fortunates that you are being pushed by the market we want more and more and more and you are trying to manage uh, how quickly i should go i should grow in order to not break the company and and keep the the level of satisfaction on on the side of the members and of the b2b uh, stakeholders right 100 i mean you, you said it perfectly <laughs> i can say it any better than that we've, we've been uh We've been very disciplined about our hiring. And, um, and there's kind of two things that I would mention on that front. Number one, I have been in the unfortunate seat where I've done a lot of um, uh, restructuring of teams at, at different organizations I've been at. Um, and, uh, and, and that's always difficult because you handle those conversations as a leader, you know, one-on-one -on -one personally. Um, and so that's tough when you inherit something that is outsized relative to where you need to be from a, uh, from a people count. Uh, so I, I think that I've learned some, some tough lessons over the years. And so for us, we're very disciplined about our growth, how we think about our team, how we think about our expansion and hiring. And the other thing at Vivante that we do is everyone's uh, an owner in the business. So every employee uh, uh, has ownership in Vivante. And a big theme for me is reminding people that, that we're all owners. Um, and so when we think about how we grow and the work we're doing, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes the hours are long, uh, but I right. think we do a, a good job of finding those mission-driven individuals that love what we're doing, believe in the solution we're building. And then I think that they take a lot of pride in the fact that they're owners in the business as well and that it's, it's our company. And are, are, is the team distributed or are, do you have certain apps? Uh, how has been your policy around that? <laughs> yeah, that's another, that's another good one. Um, so for us, we, we were a distributed workforce um, and we still are. We do have a little bit of a hub uh, in Chicago. Um, so where I'm based and I've got some team members, but everything that we do is with a distributed workforce in mind. Um, and so we do, you know, everything, a lot of virtual uh, meetings um, and make sure that that communication is open. We focus a lot on transparency, collaboration, accountability are kind of the Love three it. things that we focus on. Uh, and we believe in over communication. Uh, and so, so every once in a while, you know, we'll have the team being like, oh, man, we're doing another group call. But but then eventually that they, they they remember that you know, that the intent is to build that connectivity, because that is something that, you know, in, in our, you know, kind of COVID post COVID virtual world, uh, you want to make sure people feel like that they're part of something. Uh, so that's, that's been, so our policy has been, we're, we've been very flexible on location and, and working remotely. And we found that that's been the right mix for us. Yeah. You you have a quite unique experience about you know uh, starting up almost the company from the scratch and and moving from one company to to another and raising the A round. Uh, I'm sure that you also uh, at Verta you have also faced some moments of uh, of, of fundraising. You in a completely different world in terms of uh, I imagine uh, it is a very large corporate, not kind of the VC packet uh, style. But uh, any lessons learned in terms of fundraising that you'd like to share with with the audience that can benefit the ones who are again listening us. Um, I think the big thing. So I'd say two things on the fundraising side. Number one, if you haven't ever done it before, just be prepared for a lot of no's. Um, you know, it's, that's part of the process and that's just the reality of fundraising. 
Uh, and then the second is um, within those no's and the ongoing process, learn a lot and ask the questions, spend the time, especially early on to say, hey, you know, I understand that this isn't the right time for you, but can you tell me anything more? Continue to ask, like, what about our solution doesn't make sense? Or what about the story I'm telling doesn't make sense? Uh, because I know the first time I went out to raise capital, and when I talk to other CEOs and founders who are doing it for the first time, this I hear this a lot, is they're like, man, I wish I had changed you know, I, I finally figured it out, but I was 25 right. pitches in. Exactly. So, you know, my, my recommendation is always those first few pitches and, and use the resources. You know, I've been fortunate to have great uh, capital partners who I've worked with, who I've said, hey, here's my deck. Let me run, the, let me run through the pitch right. and get your feedback. And we'll play. Absolutely. And so I think that that's super helpful. Uh, and um and so I think those are the, the two big things is you're, you're going to hear no um, and just be prepared for that and then use those no's and learn from it and evolve the story and the pitches right. as you get that feedback. Right. And, and kind of, uh, I would just add a, as a conversation with, with you, Bill, and then uh, having in mind the ones who are listening, which is don't take it personal. And at the same time, again, don't try to to answer and convince the person that you are right, uh, just state what the person is saying, and 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 maybe ask uh, what what would that person change in the solution to feel that this will be successful. Because again, you are much more interested to understand uh, or collect the feedback and experience of that person than to prove that that person is wrong and that you are right, especially in the big egos. Uh, kind of uh, <laughs> collaboration if you're trying to make the point that you are right and the other person is wrong uh, it's not a good thing for the relationship and you can always come back with more data points and show the progress and, and share reports or updates regular updates as you go through the fundraising and and the second thing as we as you were saying do the role play and maybe you'll start with with the investors that you wish the least but i but i know from experience that sometimes it's difficult to manage the timings on when are you meeting one investor or another and to and to kind of go through the list and sometimes you you have the opportunity to talk with with the best investor of the list in your first or second pitch and it's very unfortunate because you know that after 10 pitches you'll be much better prepared right <laughs> that's a great point mike and, and very very true to to try and figure out if you can get some of those that maybe aren't your your first choice or, or, or target investors early on. That's a great point. Um, actually, there's one more thing that I would say, which is yeah. unfortunate that that we have to touch on it. But I think it is given some of these uh, things that we've seen happen out in the healthcare industry, um, be genuine, right? Um, you know, when you're mm -hmm. when you're out there, you you want to sell, you want to you want to give them the vision. And you, you do want to talk about, hey, this is this is what we're doing and this is where we're going. And, and that's what they want to hear. They do want to hear that vision painted, uh, but you do have to, but be truthful and be authentic. And again, it's a shame right. that we would have to bring that up. But, um, but I do think that we've seen some big stories in the news where that's not always the case, unfortunately. And when you're right. dealing with people's health, um, I think it's, it's so essential that you be authentic on here's what we have today. Okay. Here's what's working today. Uh, here's what we'd like to build for the future and be, be pretty clear about that. Right. The narrative, the importance of the power of the storytelling there and combining those two points that you just mentioned so well, which is all about the passion, the why, the purpose, and then the vision and understanding that on the other side, as we were discussing the health plan, the employer, the member, the investor uh, is afraid if you will provide the return on investment of his fund or her fund, fund or not. So what is your thesis to build an 100 million business and how do you show that you are focused and that you are the right team to get there? And again, also having the humility, that's why it's so important the way you react to, the, to those questions that you have a vision, but you are, uh, you are flexible enough to cross-correct if you learn new things, right? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, you said it perfect. But but then the, the purpose, the mission, the, the passion there that will also prove to the investor, you will not give up easily because you are really passionate, committed uh, with, with the purpose of, of the company. And this is the same for the team. Uh, the team will also feel that energy if you are on this 
for the long run and for the purpose or if you are there just because of the compensation package that you that you are getting uh, out of the company and if someone says you have here a better compensation package you will move away and go to the next <laughs> to the next company right well, yeah you said it that dedication that adaptability that commitment um and knowing that you're going to be wrong you're going to make mistakes boy exactly. I'm, you know, all the all, time, <laughs> that's right? All the time. Everyone makes mistakes every single day, uh, and so to pretend that um, that that's not the case, you know, just just doesn't work. So I think again, you're spot on. We're on the scaling up stage, and uh, and we know that one of the big advantages of being in the U.S. market, and you know that we are global here on 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 the show, but uh, even a lot of the companies that we have on the show that uh, go to the U.S. to scale up, so that's that's, but they need to give to give some extra steps in uh, in order to get to to the U.S. market. So there, in terms of geography, you can you can have a huge impact on the members uh, elf and on the on the on the b2b players and only focusing exclusively in in the in the us market that's one of the beauties of the of the us market but you you also have again different states different regulations different uh, and then other variables you can also go to another conditions and other products but again focus is important to understand when is the right moment to add another variable to the equation of growth so in your perspective, what are the main avenues for growth for a digital health company? And if you want to kind of share a bit more about the event, feel free to as well. Yeah, I, I think so. I think in terms of, um, you know, with the international aspect, that one thing that I'm just so excited about is the fact that there's so much great innovation coming from all over the globe. Um, I think that's phenomenal because now you're bringing just these great minds and this great talent from uh, across the world. Um, and you're seeing adoption of different types of digital health solutions uh, across different countries, which is really exciting because again, when you think about what the ultimate goal is, it's to get as many people feeling better as possible. Okay. Well, I love uh, that point. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's like, man, it's that that's, and it, when we keep that in mind, like I'll tell you for Vivante, we certainly started in the U S market in the future. I would love to expand into other markets. And then to your point, it's about picking that time and focus, right. Where right. sometimes we have people come to us and say, Hey, would you look at partnering in, in, in this other, uh, in this other country, other market? And the answer is like, absolutely, just not right now. <laughs> uh, so, so, but I think uh, it's important to call out the point that just the innovation across the world is absolutely incredible. And I think um, the collaboration and uh, and things like this, where you're bringing a lot of innovative tools and a lot of thought leaders from all different parts of the globe, is just a fascinating way. Like for me, as a uh, founder CEO, to learn and, and develop. Uh, and then I think, you know, when when I think about the the market in the U.S., to your point of trying to pick kind of the position, and, and I do think that's really important because there is so much to go after. There's so many different types of markets. There's so we've had so many opportunities to expand into different areas that we've said no to. Um, and some I'm sure it was the right decision. Some I'm sure it was the wrong decision. Uh, but uh, but for us, I think uh you know, staying focused on digestive health for now um, has been really key because we, again, just see such a big opportunity there and such right. a need for members. And then thinking about how you build the solution based upon the need of the population. And an example for that with us is in January, we, we launched our first digital therapeutic. We launched cognitive behavioral therapy for individuals who suffer from irritable bowel syndrome. And there's some uh, great companies that have built prescription digital therapeutics out there uh, that are um, delivered through 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 prescribing uh, providers, and so for us, we um, used experts in the field to help build um, our solution. Uh, it's not a prescription digital therapeutic, so you don't need it to be prescribed to you. So individuals with IBS who come onto our platform um, mm -hmm. have always had their evidence-based clinical pathway based on their symptom and condition. They've always had remote care provided to them, but now we have another tool. Um, in this cognitive behavioral therapy for I, people who suffer from IBS. Uh, and that's, that's exciting for us because it's scalable, it's modularized, and it meets members where they, where they are. And so it eliminates that need for someone who says, hey, I'm suffering today. I really need something because I'm in pain. I can't get out of bed. 
And, and now in, in the past, in many cases, they were being asked to take time off work, get in their car, you know, sign mm -hmm. up for an appointment, find a doctor that would be able to prescribe this digital therapeutic cognitive behavioral right. therapy and go through that whole process. Whereas with Vivante, they can sign up in the app and day one, you know, get access to this, uh, this program. So I think those are examples of where we kind of pick our, we look at what's needed by the member. We listen to what are they looking for? What is, um, what's clinically validated, what's scalable, uh, that, that meets members where they are. And that's really how we think about the evolution of our solution. Love it. And before we get into the last segments, uh, of the show, any final message, any plans about the future of Vivante Health, any any final advice that you'd like to share? Uh, feel free to. It's it's your free space. <laughs> um, so I think uh, I think with I'll do um, one piece on on Vivante in the future, and then one piece on uh, yeah. on kind of uh, advice. I think on Vivante, uh, what we're really excited about uh, is our ability to look at complex data sets and really leverage pattern recognition, machine learning, and AI to mm -hmm. optimize triage of care. And, and that's so important here because there isn't one biomarker that's simple for providers or for right. anyone to look at and say, okay, this is how, how Bill's feeling today. You know, it's, it's very much based on uh, patient reported symptoms and, uh, and there's such a, a wide breadth of conditions and symptoms that fall under this digestive health umbrella. Uh, and so for us, what we are building and what we're working on and we continue to iterate on is our ability to intake all this data, including stuff that the members are telling us, other types of uh, labs and information, claims information, uh, notes from our care team, and then triaging that care and optimizing to make sure we get the patient to the right care at the right time. So, so that's what we're excited about. What we continue yep. to build, and we'll be launching some future iterations on the solution, which I think will show our our impact, which we're really excited about. Love it. Uh, and then, Mike, in terms of, of the advice, what I would say um, for for anyone is is keep learning. Um, I, I make mistakes every day. I, I, I learn every day. I've learned from listening to some of the podcasts that you've done that I find uh, great. And again, taking that global view, uh, is, I think is really important because sometimes we can get stuck down into the market we're serving. Um, so I would just say my, my uh, advice is keep learning because uh, there's always more learning to be done. Awesome. And let's go into the final segment of the show where I ask you a quick question and you give me a, a brief reflection or uh, answer, please. Uh, if you would have the opportunity, Bill, to have a coffee with yourself uh, at the beginning of this uh, version of, of Vivant Elf that you, that you built, um, what advice would you offer to your younger Bill? Um. Uh, my advice to a younger Bill would be to remember to prioritize your health. I think, you know, a lot of us awesome. as we're building companies and, and you know, we're, we're moving fast, <laughs> you know, we pick up our head and then we're like, oh, it's been two years and I've forgotten to take care of myself. And so I think, uh, I think that's really important. And I think it's something that, and that is a broad term, you know, I'm talking about mental health. I'm talking about physical health I'm right. talking about time with family and friends reading, you know, anything that you enjoy to do, don't sacrifice that because I think that'll have a negative impact long-term. Absolutely. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Ooh, I am most proud of, I'm most proud of the team that we've assembled at Bavante. I think it's just an incredible group of people that I learn from every day. And that that's what I'm really, really proud of. Worst advice ever received? Um, I, I don't know if this is really, uh, I, I don't know if this is advice, but it kind of goes back to our earlier part of the discussion. We were talking about growing yep. companies and not overgrowing and over hiring and then having to correct. I think, yep. um, I think the, it's not so much advice, but I've, I've heard from some people when you talk about things like restructuring, when you talk about things that are going to impact the employment or lives of, of others, I've heard some people say, well, that's business. You know, they put on like the hard front and right. say, yeah, well, and, and I think that what I've found is anyone who has that outlook for the most part, hasn't done a, done a lot of that. Um, yeah. Because the truth is you're talking about people's lives. You're talking about their livelihood. 
Uh, and so I think that that should always be handled with empathy and sympathy. And so I think putting on that bravado of, oh yeah, that's business, I think is, it's so not so much advice, but I just, it doesn't jive with, with me. I agree with you. And uh, you should have this kind of attitude is because you are not able to connect as leader to your people. Uh, and it, it shows a lot about our own uh, leadership uh, when we we make it easier or we are just trying to protect ourselves as well, uh, saying that it's it's business, right? But, uh, but definitely uh, we need to assume that uh, this is something that sometimes is necessary, uh, but uh, but we should do it in an empathetic way and we should do everything we can to avoid it, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and not another day in the office, right? <laughs> Love it. And finally, the resources. Uh, and it could be business or non-business. Your favorite book? Um, so my favorite book is not uh, it, it, it would not be a probably a business resource book, although I think to me it's kind of a, a, a human book, I would call it. Um, I've, I've always loved the book Lord of the Flies by William Golding. I've read that in the seventh grade. And since then, I've always I come back to it every few years. I think it's just well written. And I'm a big fan of allegories. Um, Curious. I'm curious. I always get curious about the, the additions to the to the list. And the favorite movie or series, Bill? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, right now, my wife and I are watching. Um, oh boy, now I'm going to forget the name. It's uh, it's on HBO, and it's uh, the, the Last of Us. I think it's called. Uh, and so it's in its first season. There's only been a few episodes. Uh, but it's it's really well written and we're currently really enjoying that. Super curious again. And finally, your favorite podcast, excluding this one, of course. <laughs> I, I was gonna say excluding a lot. Um uh I like uh I like their NPR does a great um it's uh it's does a great recap of TED Talks that okay. I that I found really interesting. And they do they break down some of the TED Talks and then they provide just a little bit of an overview and a summary of them. What is the uh, name again, Bill? Uh, I think it's uh I think it's Ted, I think it's Ted Talks by N NPR. Okay, uh, got it. But uh but that's that's great because you can find some just amazing Same. insight and, and and stories there. So I really enjoy that. I think that all your contributions to to the resource list is is new. So congratulations, <laughs> Bill. It was been really a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, we learned so much uh, from you. And thanks for coming. And you are always invited to come back to to share the the next chapters of of your career and events. Well, I really enjoyed it, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. Likewise, and to our community, we keep bringing you the best founders, CEOs, and investors to help your life, to, to help make your life a little bit easier as you scale your company. See you soon and keep scaling.